Welcome to the Defending Freedom Podcast. My name is Kenya Alou. I'm a mother, wife, and freedom-loving American. If you believe America is worth fighting for, you've arrived at the right place. I believe America's best years are ahead of us, and that's why this podcast was built for you. Hi, it's Kenya. Welcome to the Defending Freedom Podcast. I have another very special guest today. Um, We have Brandon Burden here, and I'm really excited to have him on. Brandon and I met actually through business. He's a real estate agent like I am, and we are with the same brokerage. That's how we met, but we we very quickly found out that we align in many other ways. Um, Brandon is not only a pastor, but he also also founded or helped found um, the Frisco Conservatives. And I want to talk, I wanted to bring him on because it's so refreshing to have a pastor who is actually a voice in the political community for the things that actually are biblical principles. So Brandon, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and coming on. Absolutely, Kenya. It's a joy to be with you today. So tell me about when, when did your political journey start? So it really started in 2017 when uh, the Lord put it on my heart to run for Frisco City Council. And we had a vacant seat that came up because one of the current council members wanted to run for mayor. And according to our town charter, uh, we actually, you have to vacate the seat to run for another office. And so the seat became vacant and uh, God had actually shown me a couple of years previously that I was going to run for a seat in Frisco. And so when the seat became available, um, it was evident that that was the the time for me to do it. So I actually uh, jumped into a race with uh, eight other opponents. It was the largest race in Frisco history up until that point. Uh, And we had nine opponents or nine candidates in the race. And so I had never run for anything before, had no name recognition, no experience campaigning or anything like that. And uh, basically um, was able to come in second place in a runoff against uh, the incumbent. Uh, So there was another guy that I ran against stepped down city council to run for state representative. And then he came back uh, to run for the open seat. And so he became my main opponent. So I actually made it into a runoff against him and he had already been on council for two terms before, plus ran for state rep, um, definitely outspent me. Uh, but I almost uh, came within 400 votes, uh, beating him. So I did really, really well. And I only had about 60 days to campaign total. That's amazing. Um, do you think that running for office again is in your future in some capacity? I hope so. Um, The season has not presented itself again for me since then. Uh, I've moved on to Frisco Conservatives, uh, being a part of political action committees. uh, And now kind of as a pastor, I'm really doing more speaking and uh, kind of being more vocal about politics from the pulpit. Uh, But uh, as of this this point, no opportunity has really presented itself uh, as far as uh, me running again. But I, I would love to somewhere down the road. Yeah. So tell me how that, what that looked like. So you were a pastor. My guess is you didn't start out political in, or at least not vocal. Maybe you had your personal beliefs, but you didn't talk about it from the pulpit, right? Yeah, I mean, I've only been a pastor for a year and a half, actually. So um, this uh, Father's Day will be my second year as a pastor. Uh, But I grew up a pastor's kid, and my dad actually planted the church that I'm now pastoring 20 years ago. Uh, So I've been involved in my dad's church since the very first day. Um, So 
you know, I would say that when I started getting more politically involved in 2017, um, what I began to realize is that as a Christian, you can't segment your spiritual beliefs from your political beliefs. Um, people try to kind of put Jesus in a box and you say, you know, you put your, your work life over here, your spiritual life over here and your political life over here and keep them all separate. Well, that's not cohesive. That, that's not wholeness. That's not being whole in your thinking. We, we are who we are. And so um, anyway, when I became a pastor, I couldn't stop being political because that's just who I am. I love it. And the congregation was an established congregation. How do you Correct. think they, what was their reception to your voice? Um, well, honestly, um, they were looking for a change. I think they wanted a, a younger voice up there anyway uh, in the pulpit. Um, and so I think that when my wife and I stepped up to become the pastors, um, it was a breath of fresh air for them just to see new leadership, uh, fresh passion, fresh vision and things like that. And I think everybody kind of knew that it was time for a new pastor. Uh, my parents had pastored the church uh, for, I guess, 18 or 19 years. And, um, you know, my dad is 70 and my mom just turned 70. So they were kind of at a point where they were ready to kind of be more in the background and just kind of support and oversee, but not like being the out front things. So I think that because the season in our church was such that people wanted new leadership and they wanted a new pastor, they were pretty open and receptive to my points of view just because they were hungry for new leadership. Okay. Did you get any pushback from anybody? Oh, Lord, yes. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, my first uh, let's see, I would say my first official month as pastor, um, which was January of 2021. Um, let's see, was that my first official? Well, no, I take that back. I really became the pastor in Father's Day the year before. But, um, you know, we, we were kind of a lot smaller at that point and, and kind of, you know, building up size. So by the time uh, 2021 rolled around, you know, our was really kind of starting to take off with a, a new growth level. And uh, so my first Sunday in the pulpit uh, last year um, was the, uh, the election fraud with President Trump. And they were basically going to Washington, D.C. to uh, count the ballots or whatever they were going to do to allow the states to decide if we're going to accept the electoral college votes. And so that Sunday I stood up in church and I basically, um, the Lord came on us with you know, a strong spirit of prayer. Uh, and we began to pray over president Trump and over the election. And we began to call out for the exposure of the election fraud, that God would overturn the results, that God would expose all the fraud. And that message that I preached that Sunday actually went viral um, and it went all over the news media and Dallas Morning News got a hold of it and they turned it into basically a they started calling me the insurrectionist pastor that I was uh -huh. calling for the January 6th insurrection. And so for the next um, six weeks, five articles came out against me and my church and my pack about how the fact that I was just a crazy radical and I was calling for insurrection. Wow. Um. I might wear that as a badge of honor if I were a pastor. <laughs> I will. <laughs> they just spun yeah. it so out of control. I mean, what they did to the January 6th situation is insane. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And what I, you know, I really didn't realize how strong the woke culture was until that all went down. And then I began to understand through that process that I was now a target of cancel culture. And they were trying to cancel my voice, cancel my influence, cancel my church, cancel my business, cancel my pack. Um, everything that I was involved in is like all this persecution. I'm, I was getting hate mail on a daily basis. I was getting letters from other states, from California, from Florida, uh, voicemails on the church line. Everybody saying, you know, you are evil. You are a terrible pastor. You need to resign. Your church people should, you know, basically uh, get you out of the pulpit. I mean, all kinds of stuff. People throw scripture verses at me about how I'm not scriptural. Um, So, yeah, I didn't realize how strong the cancel culture was until I went through all of that. And it's really strong. Let me tell you. Um, any, any of your own members, um, leave, push back, tell you. No, our, our church actually doubled in size. Amazing. Um, yeah, most of our members are patriots. Um, they are, most of them are conservative, I would say. Um, and they, I'll just say this on your podcast. Most of my church loves Donald Trump. Um, and I love Donald (laughs) Trump. Trump and everybody and everybody that was in my church at that time felt like that Donald Trump got railroaded by the Biden yep. administration. They felt that the election results were unfair. You know, how do you have a vertical uptick? You know, at 11 o'clock at night, we're in all the swing states magically using the same type of ratios. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden just ticks up and he does these vertical leaps. Like anybody with a brain that understands statistics or took statistics in college can understand that it is statistically impossible for that to happen in all the swing states, all choreographed. It just doesn't happen that way. So everybody in my church felt the same way like I did, which was the election is being stolen. This is fraud. So we had the decision of do we back down or do we stand up? And we decided as a church family that we were going to stand up and be vocal about it. That's amazing. Um, uh, Can you tell me just because a lot of people don't know you or your church, my audience yet. Um, and I want to get into a little bit about um, why you feel strongly that the church should get involved um, in a minute, because I'm really hoping that this podcast reaches pastors all over the United States and even, you know, in other countries where there are Christians being silenced um, and encourage them to really stand and vote and encourage their um, members to vote biblically, because ultimately that's, that's why we are, we are where we are at in my humble opinion, because the church has been silent for so many years and we've lost ground. Absolutely. Um, I, but, I, I concur. Yeah. So your church, your church, I just want people to know you're not 35 people sitting in a living room. No, no, no. I mean, we're not a huge church. Uh, We built our building four years ago. We own seven acres of land in Frisco uh, that we've owned for well over 15 years. Uh, We built on that property four years ago, our first building of of phase one of several phases. So our first building is 14,000 square feet. So our auditorium seats about 300. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not a mega church, but no, we're not meeting in a living room with 13 people. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. So let's talk about why I could talk all day long about it, but why do you believe what you believe and and why do you feel like as a pastor, that doesn't mean you should be silent. 
Well, I think that it's really my understanding of, of what I would call the kingdom of God. Um, you know, most of us grow up in the church, uh, in the church world as Christians, we get born again, or maybe we grow up as, uh, you know, a Christian family and we're, we grow up in a church culture and the church culture is very much about staying within our little Christian bubble. I call it, um, where, you know, we just raise good kids and we do good things and we just kind of go on mission trips and things like that. But when it comes to confronting evil, confronting darkness, confronting what's wrong in our what I call seven mountains of culture or seven influencers of culture, like civil government being one of those, um, as Christians, we've been taught to be silent to turn the other cheek, to not engage. And the reason why is there's a worldview out there that I was taught as a Christian growing up that the world is very dark and very evil. Church is the safe place. And so as a Christian kid, I grew up in a safe place where the world couldn't touch me and I was in my bubble. The problem is the world has touched all of our children. The world has popped our bubble. I mean, look at the COVID vaccine. Uh, look at these mandates. Now people are losing their jobs or they can't travel because they won't get the vaccine. You know, uh, I mean, kids, our, our kids are definitely being, uh, you know, I believe persecuted every day with the woke culture, with the Black Lives Matters, with the CRT being taught in schools. Um, and our kids can't escape the culture because the culture is completely off the rails now. And the reason why it's off the rails is because we had this, what I would call separatist mindset, which is kind of like a policy of isolationism uh, that you would have in the federal government, where you have a, an administration who believes in an isolationist policy, where we don't engage in other people's wars. We don't go to other countries and try to spread democracy or freedom. We just focus on America. Uh, well, that has seeped into the church where our only concern as Christians is getting people to heaven, saving some souls, and trying to, you know, get evacuated off this planet through the rapture as fast as we possibly can, and then let God judge the world. And, and it has completely poisoned our minds, and it has completely crippled us in our civil responsibilities to be a voice in our culture. I totally agree with that. I hadn't actually thought of it in that perspective before, but it really does make sense. Um, you, you mentioned, I want to pick up on two things that you said. First, you said um, you compared it to, you know, governments that focus on just America and they don't worry about the other countries. Um, what, what is your position on that, on kind of minding our own business as a nation? What, where do you go with that? Well, I'm a MAGA guy, make America great again. I'm America first guy. I support candidates who are America first. So I, I'm not saying that, you know, we uh, abandon our own purposes or our own cause as a country. I do believe in manufacturing being in the United States and, you know, hiring people here, creating jobs here, building border walls to keep illegals out and terrorists out. So I, I'm very much about nationhood and, and, you know, being an America first type person. However, what we have to realize is that America, America has always had a mission from God, I believe, that started when uh, Robert Hunt came over in 1606 and prayed the first Protestant prayer, which was that America would be evangelist to the world. America has always been evangelist to the world. We have sent more missionaries. We've sent more humanitarian aid. 
We, we have spread the gospel more than any other country in the world over our you know, history because we are called to be an evangelist nation. So we are supposed to be influencing other nations in the world, much like the church is supposed to be doing the Great Commission. So I'm not I'm not wanting to say that, you know, oh, yeah, we don't need to focus on you know, jobs and manufacturing and securing our borders. No, I'm definitely a MAGA guy. Uh, but I don't think that we need to be isolationist in our evangelism and outreach to the world. Okay. I, I agree with that too. Um, then the other thing that you said was, you know, we, we have um, created our bubble um, and we've lived inside these safe walls that we thought were safe. Um, but um, my, the reason that I think churches need to be more vocal um is because i i believe that that we look at our pastors as leaders and a lot of people um sadly they don't read their bibles and they go to church and they hear the pastor and we have a political correctness over the church and i think we're i'm seeing us break out of that but there's been a political correctness where the church didn't want to offend anybody they didn't want to even talk about sin um, because it might offend somebody. So they just started embracing all the love is love and everything else that goes with that instead of teaching the truth in love and loving people in their sin, but not embracing their sin. And I think people have really lost what the Bible really, really stands for. And the church has wanted to be this open and embrace everybody. And yes, we do want to embrace everybody, but we don't want to endorse the sin. And I think there's, that's where it gets real fuzzy and where pastors don't want to step on toes. And also um, not just in the gender, uh, you know, sexual orientation realm, but in the race realm and I really think it's kind of judgmental and racist to assume that anybody that's a certain color is a Democrat, um, especially with the walk away movement and the, the Blexit movement and everything else. Um, so pastors have been real quiet. They don't want their black members to be offended. So they just stay apolitical. And I think it's a disservice because if you think about the actual values that most of those members have, they are conservative values. They just don't realize. Yeah. It. Right. Yeah. I think the problem is, is that we've made the church about us and not about God. You know, when's the last time we asked, is, okay. are God's feelings hurt? Is God being offended by what we're preaching so in our pulpits? You know, I mean, that, that to me is where we've got the model upside down. The other thing that we've done in the church is, is that we've flipped our model and we have tried to make our churches more comfortable for the world. And to get the world into our church versus the church actually leaving the building and going out into the world and us invading the culture out there. And so we've reversed that where we want the culture out there to come in to be comfortable where we are so that we've got, I hate to say it, but butts in the seats and can pay the light bill. And mm -hmm. let me just go there, Kenya. Church is a billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. We had turned church into a business. And I think if Jesus were here today, he would make a quart of whips. And he would run into our churches and overturn the money changers tables and basically say, hey, you know, you're not honoring me. You're not upholding my covenant. You're not you're not making me the central focal point. You're making, you know, the world feeling comfortable in your atmosphere. 
atmosphere in your building and your Sunday services, that's what you're focusing on. And he would basically say, this house is a den of thieves. Um, so I, I think Jesus would definitely come in and he would wreck the current church culture in America. He would wreck it first day on the job. If he was here today, he would wreck the culture. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, it's funny that you said that you are, um, you know, we've, the church needs to get out of the building. I'm actually sitting in the parking lot of lifestyle Christianity because my kids school rents part of the building here. And that's one of, I mean, you know, Todd White, that's what they do is they go out. They literally go out. I've been to one of his things and they go out in groups and they go into the communities and they teach you how to pray for people out at the, at the ice cream shop. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your Frisco conservatives group. Um, when you started it, why you started it, how it's going. Um, every time somebody, you know, I live in uh, North Fort Worth, but anytime some of my Frisco friends ask me, where do I find the information about voting? I'm like, plug into Frisco conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, for, so Frisco Conservatives actually uh, got its legs and took off in 2020 around the Allen West campaign for chair of the Republican Party of Texas. Um, and so Allen was running against uh, James Dickey, who is the current chair. And uh, the really what happened is, is uh, in December of 2019, uh, those of us that were trying to kind of jumpstart the conservative movement for Trump in 2020 uh, in Collin and Denton County, specifically the Frisco area, um, we began to realize that there were all these precinct chair vacancies in Denton County and Collin County. Uh, Denton County part of Frisco had a 45% vacancy rate for precinct chairs and Collin County for Frisco had a 55% vacancy rate for precinct chairs. And so we began to scratch our heads and say, how are we going to help Donald Trump win re-election if there's no precinct chairs working their precincts? Nobody's block walking, nobody's poll greeting, nobody's handing out voter information guides. And how are we going to win this election? So the first thing we did is we got together, we looked at all of our friends list, and we recruited all of those vacancies and filled all the chairs. We had a 100% success rate in filling our precinct chairs for Frisco on Denton and Collin County. So that was the first step. Once we filled those chairs, uh, then we learned that Alan West was running for chairman of the party because uh, precinct chairs get to go to what's called a Senate district uh, meeting uh, in the springtime before the state convention. And so when we went that uh, Alan West was running for the chair. And so uh, those of us that had just become precinct chairs, we loved his uh, speeches. We loved his platform. We loved his heart. He's a great Christian. Uh, I believe he goes to Sojourners Church in Carrollton. He's a spirit-filled believer, great brother. And so we're like, hey, we want to support this guy for the new chair. So when he won the chairmanship of the uh, party, his first event that he held was at Frisco Conservatives. He held a We Are the Storm rally, first event out of the gate, and it. we had over 250 people at that rally um, from Collin County and Denton County supporting his new election. Uh, and so he came to us and gave us a speech, and he said, uh, Collin County and Denton County and Tarrant County is the thin red line for Donald Trump. If Donald Trump doesn't carry Collin, Denton, and Tarrant County, he will not win the state of Texas. And we realized how serious that election was, and we took his words to heart 
that day. So we actually organized and we started recruiting volunteers. We ended up uh, recruiting 175 volunteers. Uh, we poll greeted for uh, 20, I think it was 24 days during early voting and then election day. And we covered all uh, 24 of our polling locations in Frisco. Uh, we were able to successfully distribute 80,000 voter guides to 90,000 voters we had the largest voter turnout in Frisco history, and we ran 52 candidates on the ballot from the federal level down to the local level, and 94% uh, of our candidates won their election in 2020. So that's really how we took off. That's how we became successful. And then from there, uh, we have kind of really grown legs and other groups have spun off of our group. Uh, we've actually have spun off several organizations now. Uh, one of those being Restore the Republic that's now meeting in Little Elm. And uh, they're going with about 150 strong every Friday morning. Um, and so it's exciting to see that this has morphed into other conservative groups across different counties. They're looking at our model. Some of them are actually replicating our model for our voter guide this year because uh, we did such a good job with our voter guide. So it's been pretty cool uh, that we helped jumpstart that for Trump. And now it's continuing in the midterms. That's amazing. Um, we have a group. It's called uh, For Liberty and Justice that's just getting launched. And I will be connecting you with Nate, who is um, heading that up. It's, it's incredible. Awesome. Um, so Tarrant County, you brought that up, uh, supposedly, lost, supposedly Trump lost Tarrant County by like 1,300 votes or something. What's yeah, I think, I, I think there's voter fraud. Totally. Totally. There's I no mean, way. Tarrant County uses Somat, uh, the Dominion voting systems. They use Somatic. What is it? Somatic? I can't remember the, um, the company yeah, that owns so. Dominion, but mm -hmm. what? Yeah, Systematic or Somatic. But anyway, they, they use the Dominion machines in Tarrant County. Well, I think we can even let, you know, there's people that will argue that those are very safe machines, whatever. We saw the fraud. However, <laughs> however, I know. However, even if we didn't have that, there was enough ballot harvesting to steal that election from Trump. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So, I mean, there's a group actually working on all the fraud stuff and they're doing a great job in, at exposing it and trying to help ensure that the election is going to be fair. I mean, I don't, what is your, what is your prediction for the next uh, election? Well, I mean, I know that people are fired up, uh, especially on the conservative side of the spectrum. What we're honestly seeing right now is the overthrow of rhinos in the party. And I think that rhinos oh are the biggest problem to the Republican Party. And we're seeing it in Collin County. I'm seeing it in Denton County right now. Uh, there is a massive effort underway to get rid of these rhino leaders uh, mm -hmm. in the Texas House, in the Texas Senate, and in Washington, D.C. Um, and I tell you, people are fired up. What I'm seeing is passion and fire. They're just as fired up right now as they were for Trump in 2020, because a lot of people out there feel that if we don't flip the House and flip the Senate, um, if we don't get good representatives going down to Austin, there's people that are basically saying the cause is lost. Uh, with the way things are going. I mean, with the border wall not being completed, uh, with child gender modification still not being banned in the state of Texas, with there still not being a full uh, election audit that has been performed in Texas, uh, the issues with the voting machines still being used in these counties. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's uh, even counties in Texas right now that I heard uh, that is pushing for paper ballots only. They don't want the machines. 
for the midterm. So there are people that are fired up about that. They don't want the they don't want the machines because the machines can be easily hacked. We've already seen that mm-hmm. data. It can easily yep. be hacked. There's there's obviously holes in the firewall that any hacker that has any ability at all can hack in through the hole, through the back door, and get in and change the tabulations of the votes. We know that. And the other thing, uh, this was something that I learned uh, about 10 years ago uh, through a lady who ran for Austin City Council and lost her election, and it was due to fraud. And so she demanded a recount. And when they went to do the recount, they said, we can't do it because – the machines don't keep images of the ballots. So it's oh impossible God. to do it. Her name was Laura Presley. So Laura Presley took that all the way to the Texas Supreme Court and she won. She won her case. And so there's a huge group of people out there that are fired up about voting machines and they don't want the voting machines. They want to go back to old school paper ballots and hand counting the ballots if we have to go that that route. Um, and I've been an election judge myself. I was an election judge in 2020 um, as a precinct chair. I'm always called up to be an election judge. And uh, I will tell you, when you scan that ballot into the scanner, it's not saving an image of the ballot in the scanning machine. So if you need a recount, the only way to do that is by hand. And you can't get those images off that machine. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it would take a lot more manpower to do paper ballots, but I think that there would be enough people to volunteer. I mean, I don't know. I know we struggle getting volunteers as it is, but that's what part of this is, is encouraging people how to get them, teach them how to get involved with the process. Um, You know, you're not a, you know, a career politician and you have done huge things to impact um, your community and all the communities, just not, not just by preaching on Sundays, but your Frisco conservative group and actually being involved in the process as a precinct chair and election judge and uh, getting those vacancies filled and all those things are so important. Um, We have a lot of vacancies in Tarrant County. Actually, I was looking through and I'm like, oh, wow, especially now with the redistricting and everything else. So we have to we have to fill those spots. I'm also a precinct chair here in Tarrant County. Oh, good, um, good. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was part of that process with Alan West, um, with that with that whole thing. And speaking of rhinos needing to get out, uh, we need we need Abbott out. Um, oh, absolutely, I'm King Abbott. Not, not, oh my god! Hell gosh. the king! Hell the king! <laughs> I'm so not a fan, um, but. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I've been very public about who I'm supporting. I love Alan, Alan West. I, I was very involved in getting him in the seat that he had um, to replace Dickie. Um, but I was a little disappointed that he vacated that seat before it was time. And um, I am supporting Huffines for governor. Um, I love his property tax plan. Uh, it's a long plan, but we got to start somewhere. Um, but I wouldn't be disappointed if if we ended up with Alan West. I just cannot deal with Abbott. Yeah, this is a um, anybody but Abbott race. That's that's what I tell people. <laughs> I don't care if you vote for Huffines, Prather, or West. It doesn't matter to me as long as Abbott doesn't get on the ballot. You know, past March and not on the on the general ballot in November. As long as he's not on the November ballot, I don't really care who wins the primary. They're all good right. candidates in their own right. regard. So you know, I'll take any one of them over Abbott. Right. Well, um, are there, is there anything else you want to dig into? I mean, you will have, we're going to have you back on, um, but is there anything else in this podcast that you want to talk about? 
You know, I think my just my main message is to pastors: um, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid of losing your congregation. Stop being afraid of losing your funding. I know that most pastors are afraid of losing their congregation, which would then mean their funding is cut. Um, You know, what I saw with my church when I went through such, uh, you know, persecution from the mainstream media is that my church actually grew because there is a huge desire out there from Christians for leaders to stand up and to step up and to be bold and courageous. What people are looking for in this generation right now is courage and boldness. Um, So if you're a pastor that's timid and you're not willing to make a stand in politics, I think that you're going to have to reevaluate your leadership style um, because that is what your congregation is craving. And I hate to say it, but if you're not stepping it up, your congregation is leaving your church right now anyway. They're, They're looking for other pastors who will step it up. And when, when I see these like Clay Clark events or, you know, the, the health and freedom conferences or whatever, they are flooded with Christians from these churches in the Metroplex that are, they're there because the leaders like, you know, Clay Clark and like, uh, uh, you know, Greg Locke and those guys, they're bold. They're not backing down and, and believers out there are looking for that kind of leadership. So I just want to encourage pastors to not be afraid anymore to make that stand. Because you're, there are people in your congregation that are just literally thirsty for that. They're hungry for that. You've got to yes. feed them. Yes, absolutely. That is, that is so true. And I'm going to share this. I'm, I hope that it reaches pastors all over. Um, closing remarks real quick. Uh, there is a, um, there's a rally called the Save Texas Rally. I don't know if you've heard about it yet or not, but you might want to uh, share it with your Frisco conservatives. Um, it's called the Safe Texas Rally, and it's February 5th in Austin, Texas. There are going to be some amazing speakers. It's, it's basically um, a protest to get the, you know, what happens is, you know, we vote in what our, le- what our legislative priorities are as precinct chairs. We, we send that to Austin, and then right. they don't do it. No. And then they don't do it. So this is basically saying this, this rally is about we see you. And we're not putting up with it anymore. We want you to do what we put you there to do. Because they say they, they adopt the, the platform, but then they don't really, they're not bold with it. too many compromises and in the middle and they just don't do it. Well, I mean, if you listen to Huffines, when I've heard him speak before, he basically says they go behind in the first month in office down there, they go and they have their little club meetings where they have dinner together and they laugh mm-hmm. at us, the voters. They, they laugh insane. at us and, and they're like, we're going to come down here and do whatever we want to do. They make fun of us. They actually make fun of us back in their precincts and they think that we're just a bunch of idiots. And so that's got to stop. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. That has to. It's disgusting. Yeah. Brandon, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, my pleasure, Kenya. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, all you freedom defenders out there. Um, Listen to this and share it far and wide. Uh, these are practical ways that you can get involved um, in your communities to help save our country. Thank you for being here and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Please leave a rating wherever you download podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode of the Defending Freedom podcast.